Hello, Pioneering Today podcast listeners. So today's episode is 10 tips for you to be able to store food without refrigeration using root cellar and cold storage techniques. And while I love canning because seriously, mason jars are my thing, root cellar or cold storage techniques might be my second favorite way of preserving food at home because it requires so little work on my part. Plus, no fridge, so no electricity. Yeah, I know. What's not to love, right? And I love it when I can preserve food for my family without a ton of effort. And saying little effort just sounds way better than saying lazy, right? So fall is when most root cellar and cold storage happenings go on. But if you don't have a root cellar or even a garage, don't worry. Neither do I. So those of you that do, I'm going to try my best real hard here not to get jealous because that's not good for us to be jealous. But if you do have a garage or a real to goodness root cellar, that is awesome. And you're going to be able to do even more than the rest of us. But I want to include some tips on how to do this if you don't have that. And a lot of these tips are going to apply even if you do have a garage or an actual root cellar as well. And this is tip number one is true for any kind of fruit or vegetable that you want to preserve at shelf life, even if it's just in the refrigerator. And that tip is to leave the stem on. It really doesn't matter what kind of food that you're storing. Even apples and berries will store longer with the stem intact. It keeps disease from getting into the center of the food and breaking it down faster. So if you are able to pick your own fruit, if you're growing it yourself, you can totally do that. If you go to a you'll pick farm, you can do it. A farmer's market, look for it. But if you're picking it yourself, leave the stem on. And one of the easiest ways when you're picking apples to leave the stem on is just to grab it and then twist it quickly. And then this, it'll twist off of the branch, but leave the stem intact. Because a lot of times if you just pull straight down, you're going to pull your stem off. So that is a quick tip there for apples. Then the second thing that we really need to look out for when we are doing this is ventilation. You have to have good ventilation and airflow around your food. This helps fungus from growing and it greatly increases the shelf life. Not only do you need ventilation in the room when you're using root cellar or cold storage techniques where the food is at, but your container shouldn't be airtight either. And so the container that you put your food in when you're storing it will also have a big impact on how long it will store. And there are, I have five storage containers that I use for root cellaring and cold storage, and I'll share those with you. And the number one is mesh bags. So I save these if or when we run out of our own onions and I have to purchase them from the store. A lot of times if you're buying onions in bulk, especially at a place like Costco or even your regular grocery store will a lot of times have onions in bags. And so save those mesh bags, you guys. They are great for storing your own stuff at home. So mesh bags, and that's really easy because you're already purchasing the onions that they come in and then you get the bag kind of like as a free bonus, which I love free bonus stuff. The second item is burlap bags. And if you're going to use burlap bags, you need to make sure that you don't close them all the way that you leave the top open so that the air can flow through those. The third thing is a cardboard box. Cardboard boxes are great 
but you want to make sure that you leave the lid off and that you leave a few holes in the side. So a lot of cardboard boxes will have handles, which is just like a punch out, you know, on the side. And that is great because that helps with airflow as well. The fourth thing that we use is baskets or trays with large holes. And specifically, we have some large, really hard plastic baskets and trays. And they have kind of like a basket weave, but it's out of plastic on the bottom and the sides of them. And those work really good too. They're easy to clean and they have great ventilation and they're really sturdy. So I know when I'm loading up my tray with, you know, the pumpkins or squash or whatever, that I don't have to worry about the bottom falling out when I'm packing and moving it. And that's a plus as well. Number five, and this one is super easy and pretty inexpensive as well, is laundry baskets. They have handles and openings just kind of built in, and you can get them usually in you know a few different sizes. So laundry baskets work really good for storing your food. And I kind of love root cellar and cold storage because it's very old-fashioned. You know, refrigeration is fairly new as far as history goes. And this is the techniques that are the pioneers and great-grandparents and even a lot of people still throughout the world use to keep their food and their food storage and to keep food throughout the year. So these are techniques that I really am excited to learn even more about and to share the things that we've used with you guys because I think they're really important. The next thing that we have is curing. So curing is really important Curing is what is going to make them shelf-stable for much longer. Curing is really, in simple terms, it's just the process of leaving the crop out at a higher temperature than is optimal for storing it, and you do this right at harvesting time. And during curing, the skin of the food is hardened, and then excess moisture is drawn out, and this just helps extend the storage life. So a lot of things like potatoes specifically is if they have blemishes in the skin when they go through their curing process those blemishes on the skin or anything on the skin where it's kind of been punctured they will heal over and then that's going to allow it to obviously store longer after those things have been healed and crops that need to be cured because not every crop needs to be cured but the ones that do yet have to do it kind of a deal so crops that need to be cured are potatoes sweet potatoes onions and garlic for sure. And even some of your winter squash, like your pumpkins and spaghetti squash, those kind of things will benefit from curing. That It helps the outer, the skin harden, which we want, you know, the harder it is, then the, the better it will be. So depending upon where you live, the moisture and humidity level in the air will determine exactly how long your curing process is going to be. But generally speaking, the curing process is from two to four weeks. Now, how to cure your crops for root cellar storage. Okay, so let's go deeper into the curing method here, guys. So the, the first thing you want to do is you want to spread your crop out so that there's even airflow. That, that whole ventilation thing comes in again. And you don't want to cure in direct sunlight, especially your onions and your garlic, because you can sunburn the crop and that we don't want that. The skin on your onions and garlic when it's first harvested can easily, the sun can burn that and that can affect the storage of it and the flavor. So you don't want to have it indirect sunlight. Now we've used old screens or even extra stretches of like chicken wire when we're curing our onion and garlic. 
So if you're using wire, we just hang it. We have a covered back porch. And so we will hang it from one of the rafters on the back porch so that it's out of direct sunlight. But there's a lot of airflow and it still gets pretty warm back there because your curing is requires higher temperatures. And so with the onions and the garlic, because they still have their stem on them, then we just thread the stem all the way through each piece, little square of the wire, and then it just hangs on there. And then it's got great airflow and it's up off the ground. So don't have to worry about the animals, you know, getting on it or knocking it over or anything like that. So that is one way that we have cured our onions and garlic. And then another way, if you don't have extra wires, we have some old screens lying around just from, you know, old building projects and whatnot. And so we will take some screens and we'll just place them on some sawhorses and kind of create a table with the screens and then to lay them out evenly on that. And then the screen obviously is mesh. So the airflow goes through that. So we've done it that way too. And both of those have worked really well from us. So the second really important thing when you're curing is to don't wash your crop before you're curing it or and or storing. If there's a lot of dirt on it, because when we first, you know, when you pull up your garlic and your onions, especially because of your root crops there, there's going to be a lot of dirt on them. And if you're anything like me, your first instinct is to wash that dirt off, but you don't want to do that because you're going to be introducing more moisture into the food. And that's kind of part of the curing process is to draw that moisture out. So as the food cures, the dirt will dry and it'll become much easier to remove. So if you have big, huge dirt clods, because sometimes when you pull up the garlic or the onions, the roots will hold a whole big old bunches of dirt clods. So if you have a lot of big dirt clods, go ahead and gently knock those off. But don't actually, you know, rub and wash the skin part of it. So just knock off the big, huge dirt clods. Don't worry about the rest. And then as it dries off, then you can just brush off the dry dirt. It's much easier to remove. So just leave it on there and know that you can brush it off later. Because if you wash it, it introduces even more moisture to the food. And then it pushes it through the skin down far into it. And that's, like I said, it's not what we want for curing or long-term storage. Now for winter squash, after you've harvested that, and winter squash and pumpkins, I'm putting in there with the winter squash, those aren't uh, under the ground. They're not a root crop. So they don't really have as much dirt on them. But after they have cured, I do wipe them down. And But what I do is I don't wash them, so I don't submerge them. But I just take a cloth with vinegar on it and wipe down the outside. And so the vinegar is going to help any little bacteria or anything like that that's on the outside of the skin that would cause it to perish faster. It's going to get rid of that. So I just wipe mine down with, a, like I said, with a cloth and vinegar and then make sure they're dry before you put them into storage. Now, the third thing that we really need to take into account when we're curing is the temperature. And there's a little bit of variation here in your curing temperatures depending upon the crop. So regular potatoes should be cured between 55 to 60 degrees. And that is the coolest curing temperature. Everything else is best cured between 70 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit. This, these are all Fahrenheit, guys. With sweet potatoes, those heat-loving darlings, those are best cured at 85 degrees Fahrenheit. And I have to tell you, I'm always, boy, this is just like sounded like my jealousy podcast, guys. But I'm always a little bit jealous of you guys that have those warm, high temperatures, especially down in the south, because you can grow sweet potatoes. 
I love sweet potatoes. They are one of my favorites. But here in the Pacific Northwest, we are just too cold and I can't grow them. I can grow the lovely vines and the slips, but we're just not hot enough to grow the actual sweet potatoes. So that is one crop that I do purchase because I can't grow them here. So those are your temperatures for your curing. Now, best, and oh guys, I forgot to mention, if you are listening to this and if you're like me, I like to have things written down in front of me to remember them. And I, I don't always remember and I need to go back. So I have in the show notes, I have all of this listed out for you with the temperatures and done broken down into charts. So you can go and grab that. This is podcast episode number 70, and you can grab all of the show notes, full transcription at melissaknorris.com. Click on the podcast button, and then all of the podcast episodes are listed there by title and number. And so this is number 70, and you can go and grab all of this so you can have all that information for you. So the best storage conditions for root cellar crops. Okay, and that is the dark. Any food will last longer if it's stored out of direct sunlight even our home canned goodies. This is especially true for potatoes. And the reason this is true for potatoes is because if you've ever seen green on potatoes, that is actually a chemical called solanine. I think I pronounced that correctly. And it can be toxic toxic if eaten in large amounts. So with your potatoes, you need to keep them in the dark. And if they develop green on them, you probably should throw them out and not eat it. So dark, it really is the best for our food storage. Now, I want to talk today specifically about warm storage crops, because if you don't have a garage, if you just have your house like we do, then these are the crops that are actually going to store for you and store for quite a while. And these are kind of the easier crops to keep because there's a list of really cold storage crops that need to be kept in a real root cellar or in a very cold environment. And if you have these stored in your house, you're just not going to get the longevity out of them. So warmer storage crops are what we were talking about today. And I will list these for you. And these are the ones that we do. They'll store longer at the cooler end of the temperature gauge, but they still do quite well, even if your conditions are towards the warmer end. And I wanted to mention, too, on the curing. So here in the Pacific Northwest, I can't always guarantee that I'm going to be curing my stuff at 80 degrees because sometimes in the summer we are well over that, but other times we're not. And so for that two-week period, I don't, I can, you know, I don't have a way of controlling that temperature. I don't have a controlled environment to control the temperature for curing. So I just try to do the curing, you know, as best as we can. And if you're not at exactly 70 to 80 degrees, as long as you've got them in the warmest place possible, then just go for it. Sometimes with the garlic, if it's really wet out and we're just not having those high temperatures, I just have to let it cure longer. So sometimes we've had to cure the garlic for up to four weeks to make sure that it was cured and fully dried out. So, the, I mean, these are the, the best times and these are your guidelines, but don't let that stop you from trying these techniques and trying things if you don't have, you know, the perfect setup or the perfect environment. Go for it anyways. Okay, so the seven crops that can be stored warmer and their storage temperature is between 45 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So this is when you're going to store them after the curing period. And the very first one, and this is really the easiest, is dry beans. 
dry beans will store the longest. I'm talking years, but I have to tell you with dry beans, and this isn't only your dry beans that you store at home, but dry beans that you might purchase and have in bulk for your food storage, is after about two years, they usually won't cook tender anymore, no matter how long you cook them or if you cook them in a pressure canner. So your dried beans for seed, they will still be viable if you're storing them for seed. And if actually, if you're storing your dry beans for seed, then I would recommend trying to keep them below that 60 degree mark. But you're just going to have to do what, you know, with whatever your house is. Ours kind of fluctuates, obviously, the temperature in the house. But dried beans, and then two, if you have dried beans and you're cooking them and they're not quite tender, try not adding the salt until the very end of the cook time. Sometimes if you cook them with salt all the way from the get-go, then they won't cook quite as tender either. But dry beans are going to store for a very long time, and they will store where it's warmer, so they are great to do this with. The second crop that can be stored is garlic. So we grow all of our own garlic. We usually grow about 75 bulbs, and that is enough to take us through an entire year. So I don't buy garlic from the store. We grow all of it our own. And I actually have for you guys a video on how to braid your own garlic and some garlic growing tips. So you can grab that in the show notes, like I said, and you will see the video on how to braid garlic, which kind of brings me to my one other thing that I wanted to talk with you guys about is... If you have never heard of Periscope, or if you have heard of Periscope, I am loving Periscope. It is like my new favorite thing. And that is a link to the video you will see is actually a Periscope video. So what Periscope is, for those of you who don't know, is it is an app for your smartphone and it will work on tablets, but I do not believe that the app will work on your computer. So it's only for tablets and phones. So you download the app and it's totally free. Just type in Periscope on Google and it'll come up. So it's totally free app. And then you follow people. So to follow me, there's a little search button and I'm at Melissa K. Norris and you can follow me and then I can do live videos. So it'll do this really fun little whistle, which I love. And it'll go, it'll kind of like do this little whistle tweet at you when someone who you're following is doing a live video. And then you can choose to not watch it. You can just ignore it or you can go on and watch. But here is the cool thing. When you go on to watch somebody, you can ask questions and the person who's doing the scope can answer them live. So when I'm braiding garlic, people are asking questions and I get to answer them right there in live real time. So it's really fun because I get to visit with people. You get to ask questions and I get to teach. And it's just really awesome because sometimes you have a question and you just want to be able to ask it. And so it all happens in real time and it's super fun. So I am doing scopes right now, usually Monday through Friday. And I would love to have you join me on there. It like I said, it is having so much fun. And then you guys can talk to back and forth. So if like I'm doing something and someone asks a question, I might not know the answer. Usually someone who's watching will know the answer or have some um, areas or resources for someone to go to. So it's just a great way to learn and to interact with people who are like-minded. And so it's kind of like just creating a community because we all can't gather in the same spot because we're spread out all over, which I think is awesome. But this is a way for us to gather and really interact with each other. So you can check out that video and you can check out all of my previous scopes. If you don't have the app or you want to catch them, you've missed them. Or some people just don't have a smartphone, so they can't do the mobile aspect of it. But I have on catch.me backslash Melissa K. Norris, all of the videos that I have done, you can go and watch them on replay. So you can go there and catch all of them. They're all listed. So I just wanted to invite you to that because it's really super fun. So back to our seven crops. So we did dry beans and we've done garlic. So the third one is onions. 
Onions will store really well, especially when they are cured properly. And usually the sweet onions don't store as long as like your yellow storage onions. So I usually do yellow for long storage and sweet onions. We try to use up quicker because they turn bad faster. And onions usually will store for about six months. The fourth one is potatoes. And potatoes will last about six to nine months Granted that you keep them in the dark and if they just are starting to sprout, then I just brush the sprouts off and I use them anyways. And with potatoes, you might notice sometimes towards the end of the storage, they start to shrivel up. And that usually just means because the humidity level where they're being stored wasn't high enough because potatoes have quite a bit of water in them. And so they're just kind of dehydrating. So I, you can still use them. I'll use them instead of like obviously like baked potatoes or fried potatoes, the, little, the shriveled ones, if they're not shriveled too far gone, then I will just use those in soups and stews or just try and do them up in like mashed potatoes. The fifth one is sweet potatoes. Now, sweet potatoes, I have to tell you guys, I store sweet potatoes for a full year in our pantry. They store extremely well for me, which makes me happy because like I said, I can't grow them here. So I like to buy them in bulk, at least in like 10 pound bags. And then I just store them in our pantry, which and one thing when you are doing root cellar storage in your home is we have a wood stove in our living room. And so I have our pantry is at the opposite end of the house from our wood stove. And it's also against an exterior wall, which for us during the winter and fall and spring months is much cooler because it's cooler outside, but there's no window in there either. So it's dark. And it was actually a coat closet that we just converted into a pantry. My husband just put shelves in it. So that's one thing you want to think too is that it's not where you're storing it isn't near your heat source or if like if you have forced air or electric heat or that kind of thing that you're not having it right over one of the vents or that you can close the vent so that it's not coming into that area. So the sixth storage thing that can be food is pumpkins. Now pumpkins will store pretty well but pumpkins are only going to store for about two to three months is the maximum that they just don't store quite as long. So I would recommend checking them um, after about six weeks, start keeping a good eye on them. Check them about once a week. And if they start to get any soft spots or discoloration on them, cook those bad boys up, okay? Because they will start to turn. I've lost a couple of pumpkins not keeping a good enough eye on them. The seventh thing is winter squash. Winter squash stores pretty well, especially butternut and spaghetti squash. They have a pretty hard rind on the outside and spaghetti squash for us have actually stored the longest. We I've kept spaghetti squash just on the open shelves in the kitchen, actually not even in the pantry for up to six months, sometimes longer. So spaghetti squash for us has been a really good storage crop, especially where it's warmer. And what I love about the pumpkins is even though their storage life is only about two to three months, right now is when everybody's harvesting pumpkins, which at the time of this recording is the end of October. So they should store to get you all the way through all of your holiday, Thanksgiving, and Christmas baking, which is a plus. And I also, if you are like me and you love pumpkin, because I love pumpkin, I have eight ways to preserve pumpkin at home. So I will link to that in the show notes. And these are safe ways to preserve pumpkin, because there's a few ways floating around in internet land that are not safe home food preservation. So you can check that out if you want to be preserving your pumpkin for year-round use. 
And that brings me talking about Thanksgiving and Christmas. I would love to invite you guys to our free homemade Christmas series. So it is eight weeks of homemade Christmas and go to melissaknorris.com backslash homemade Christmas 2015 and you will get a free copy ebook form of my book pioneering today a homemade Christmas you get it for free the whole thing and then you will also get once a week an email with a new homemade Christmas tutorial or article on how to so the first week we already have done and that's a three ingredient lip balm that's really easy to make costs less than a dollar a piece to make and so we walk you through step by step on that and ways to customize it and then in the weekly email which goes out on Wednesdays we'll have recipes old-fashioned family recipes that have been passed down family favorites and just all things for a good old-fashioned simple homemade Christmas and so I'm really excited You'll also get when you sign up for that an invite. We have a closed Facebook group that has almost 3,000 people in it right now, you guys. And it is awesome. So it is only about sharing homemade Christmas gift ideas. So people are sharing pictures of gifts that they've made. They're sharing tutorials to things that they're going to make that we find. And then if you have any questions or you get stuck like, oh, I can't think of anything to get for to make at home for, say, a a tween or for a guy, because sometimes those are a little bit harder, then people will jump in and say, oh, well, I've made this or what about this? So it's just a community of helping each other out and inspiring for a good old fashioned homemade Christmas. And so it is so much fun. I'm really enjoying it. I have got some amazing ideas from you guys as well. So like I said, to get your free copy and get signed up to get those emails and into the group, just go and sign up at melissaknorris.com backslash homemade Christmas 2015. So thank you guys for joining me. And I want to share now our verse of the week. So this is inspiring our faith. And this verse that I'm going to share with you right now is from Ephesians and it's Ephesians 2.10. And this really spoke to me because sometimes we can really get down or just wonder, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Or is this where, where I should be in life? Or I don't think I can do this anymore. You know, we all have down days where we kind of lose our way a little bit and we start to doubt things. At least I do. Um, and this verse just really spoke to me. And so Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So that means God has already prepared good things for you and good things for you to do. He's already out working ahead of you. And I love that because it means it's not all up to me. And it just takes a load off of me. And I also know that he's been planning my life and your life out. And we just have to have faith and follow him. And really, that's all we have to do. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, because I tend to do that quite often, that just took a huge load off my shoulders and reassured me that I am God's. He is for me. And he has already planned and prepared, not just planned, but prepared in advance the good works for me. So I want to leave you with that. And thank you so much, guys, for joining me. I really appreciate that. And if you have any comments that you want to add to this or you have any questions, just go to the show notes. This is episode number 70. Type them there in the comments and I will get back to them. Or you can pop on Periscope and ask me. Have a great day.